Hey, a couple of things just before we get started. Um, where I ended, I want to go back to. Because a couple of you have spoken to me and you said, wow, that last, what you just said in those last few minutes about living the cross-centered life and then parenting resources. I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not saying living the cross-centered life is the best parenting resource to start out with. What I'm saying is you need to be cross-centered in all that you do or it's going to go into legalism or condemnation. Okay, and we don't have time to really unpack all of this, um, but basically, if we're not focused on the gospel, if the gospel is not the, the why behind the what in life, if the gospel is not the thing that's fueling us for what we're doing, we run out of steam really, really, really fast. And be, behind, in the New Testament, when you're looking at the imperatives of what God would have us do, especially in the Pauline epistles, it's not far from a gospel-centered why that's right there. Okay, when God's having us do something and says that we're supposed to be doing this to bring him glory, you're not going to be too far from a gospel-centered why. By the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice. What's the mercies of God? The mercy of God is chiefly shown to us when? In the cross of Jesus Christ as he shed his blood for sinners like you and like me. That is a gospel reminder. Okay, when we tell, and this is from years in student ministry, when we talk to people about dressing modestly and we say, don't you know that your body is a what? Temple of the Holy Spirit, for you were, see we all know the temple, we don't, for you were what? Bought at a price. How are you bought at a price? The blood of Jesus. It goes back to the gospel. How many times we quote that verse to students and to people and say, you don't want to, you don't want, that's not, that's, don't you got the Holy Spirit inside, you want to dress up the temple like that? It's not about the outward appearance, it's, no, no, you are, you understand? Your body is not your own, you were bought. It has nothing to, no, no, ain't no temple should look like that. That's, that's not the point. What if I want the temple to look like this? It's not the point of what the, I'll do my own decor. You were bought, sweetheart, you were bought with a price. This is not yours. It's not, it's not yours. Christ paid dearly. That's a little different. Then just don't let that temple look like that. What's the matter with you? You were bought with a price. This is counseling starts with the gospel. And then, and then we move out to whatever the issue is. We start with the gospel. A secure, firm understanding of the gospel and how we apply that to our daily lives, who we are in Christ. And then we move on. Otherwise, as Paul Tripp says, it's like stapling fruit to a tree. Yeah, it's meant to make you giggle. It's like stapling fruit to a tree. If we don't start with nourishing the roots, if we don't start with taking care of the very basic foundation that's so key to our everyday Christian lives, and we just go straight to fruit, let's just fix the fruit. Fruit keeps falling off. Why? I don't know. Just get it back up there. You have any duct tape? Duct tape fixes everything. Just stick it back up there. That's ridiculous. It looks really funny. It's not going to last. Let's go for healthy trees. Let's go for healthy roots. And pray that God would help us to produce fruit that would bring him glory. But let's start at the root. And that's particularly important when it comes to parenting. Because so much is at stake because we love our kids so much. If we are not secure in who we are in Christ and we're judging ourselves as to how good or bad a parent we were that day. 
it's not going to go well for us. It's not going to go well for our counselees. So I suggest starting out with living the cross-centered life because we want to have the basics of the gospel in play, the basics of the gospel in play in our lives as we uh, seek to please God in specific areas. So that's why I start out with uh, living the cross-centered life in this and in many, many, many counseling cases. Okay, we're now going to Biblical Parenting for the Glory of God, session two. We're going to talk about, oh, that took a while. We're going to talk about teaching, and we're going to move pretty quickly, so this way you can get home and have some sleep. There is hope for parents because God has revealed many truths about parenting, okay? When you read through the Bible, you find a lot of principles about parenting, but really it's not going to be in the how-to section. Remember, the Bible's not an encyclopedia. The Bible doesn't have marriage sections and parenting sections, and it's, it's not, we don't just like look up in the back of the Bible to find the section that's speaking about this one particular topic. If we do that, we do that to our own peril, because what we're going to do is not apply other verses. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that a marriage verse? Yes. Right? No, no, it doesn't mention the spouse. I know, but I feel like Sarah's pretty, like she's very neighborly. We share a home, a bed, a life. I mean, we're, she's, she's neighborly. You can't apply that. That's not a marriage verse. Can too. So if we start looking at, no, no, that's not the marriage section. The marriage section, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7. You know, it's not the marriage section. We need to realize that the whole of Scripture speaks to us as the whole of God's people. And so we seek to apply truth broadly and accurately. We don't rip things out of context, but we try to apply truth broadly and accurately. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be adequate. Some of your versions say complete. Old King James says perfect. Am I right? Yeah. Um, So all these things, all, all, all these things that the word of God promises to be, that means it includes parenting. We can look to the word of God to find out what we need about parenting. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has granted to us everything, every, most things, most things at that time, most things up until the time it was written, everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us to his own, by his own glory and excellence. That means we're able to look to the word of God when we want um, instruction on how we can parent and what we should teach Parents should seek to bring glory to God by fulfilling the mission to which God has called them. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, this might be a a section of scripture that you're familiar with, beginning in verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Okay, so this tells us the importance of the the statutes of the Lord, the importance of the word of God, that we're supposed to have these things constantly on our mind and on our hearts, that we're supposed to be speaking of them as often as possible, that these things drive us in what we do. So when we go to our kids and we say, oh, well, let's see what God's word says. It's not, "Uh uh-oh, this must be a really important thing because daddy spoke about God's word. He never speaks about God's word. Usually he just says, because I said so. Or usually he just said, because if you know what's good for you, you'll do it. We want to make sure that God's principles are driving us in what we're doing constantly. And our kids know that that's what, why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do. We say that a lot. Buddy, this is what we do. This is why we do what we do. This, is, this comes out of the scriptures. So we want to teach. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline 
and the instruction of the Lord. It's interesting that that is given to fathers. Surely that can be applied to mothers as well, but fathers are told not to provoke or to exasperate your children to anger. The Greek word that is used there is defined as to intentionally irritate or annoy. So to intentionally irritate or annoy. I'm not supposed to provoke my children to anger. Now that doesn't mean that if the net result of what I did angered my kid, I'm in the wrong, right? That is what? Parent-centered or child-centered? Child-centered, right. So if I saw, oh, I must be wrong because my kid's upset. No, that's not, that's not the case. But I shouldn't be provoking my child to wrath. I shouldn't try to do that because I find it effective or because I quite frankly find it funny. I should not do that. I should not want to intentionally irritate or annoy my kid, even if that way seems right to me, because God's word tells me not to do that. Um, once again, you'll see that um, from shepherding a child's heart, that quote, you have authority because God has made you his agent. This means you're on his errand, not yours. Your task is to help your children know God and the true nature of reality. So, we spoke before about common struggles that parents have faced, either parent-centered or child-centered. Then we landed by saying that we want to have a God-centered home, but then parents also have, a common, have common steps to accomplish this goal. Okay, So Ephesians 6.4, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord, or the instruction of the Lord. So there's a put-off and there's a put-on. Okay, Don't provoke your children to anger. Now, here's another thing. That reminds me of, uh, just to take a little bit of a sidestep, hypocrisy provokes my kids to anger. Hypocrisy provokes my kids to anger. So it's not just because I'm being annoying and I'm pushing their buttons. But if I'm a hypocrite, if I'm inconsistent, it provokes my children to anger. So we need to understand that when that says fathers do not provoke your children to anger, it's like, don't make them angry. Who wants to be angry? Come on now. You don't want to be angry. It's not that shallow. Think of the things in my own life as a dad that I could do sinfully that would result in a poor witness before my kids and provoke them to anger. Instead of doing that, I should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, God has given the responsibility particularly to the fathers. The responsibility particularly to the fathers. And that's not, um, that's not chauvinistic. That's not to be understood as, well, that's really for both. It's specifically to the fathers. that um, My wife and I both do this. In fact, hour by hour, day by day, let's just, call, let's just call a spade a spade. My wife does this more than I do. My wife's with my kids more than I am. So she does it more, but the axe is over my head. That's a real pretty gospel-centered picture that you can have as parenting. But basically, I'm the one who's responsible for seeing that God is glorified in this. The responsibility lies with us, but the axe is over my head. So we go back to the garden, right? When Eve gave the fruit to Adam, who did God come calling for? Adam. <laughs> what did Adam response? Her did that. Her gave me fruit. Okay, immediate blame shifting. But God didn't say, why would you give him the fruit? He didn't go to Eve. Adam was responsible to take care of his wife. Adam was responsible to care for her enough to say, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. But he didn't. God comes looking for the man of the house. So 
That's not chauvinistic. That's not antiquated. That's just, that just is what it is. God has the responsibility lying with me. The execution is with both of us. We both execute. We both talk about things. Sarah brings things to my attention. She'll tell me what, you know, here's what I think we should basically, here's what I think we should do because this isn't really working. Let's try this. And I'll say the same things to her. Most of the time, she's bringing things to me about what happened during that day that went well or that went poorly. And she's bringing ideas to me and saying, oh, well, this is what I think we should do. What about this? Here's what I've noticed. I've noticed Justin's been doing this. Silas has been doing that, blah, 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 blah. So it seems like if, if you're responsible, why is she doing that? Well, the Bible doesn't say she can't do that. In fact, she does a better job than I do. She's with them more often. She knows them in many, many ways. I, I think I know my kids pretty well, but she knows them really, really, really well. She spends more time with them. If she didn't, it would be pretty messed up. But God's given the responsibility to me, and I take that responsibility seriously. Um, The purpose of your authority, Ted Tripp says, in the lives of your children is not to hold them under your power, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely and under the authority of God. A wife and mother play an important part in the process of parenting. We don't want to downplay that at all. Uh, Proverbs 1.8, hear my son, do not, hear my son, your father's instruction, is that wrong? Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching, um, Proverbs 6.20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. We're not downplaying moms at all, okay? Uh, first, second of all, we should be sensitive to single moms or single dads who do this on their own. I am the child of a single mom, okay? So I'm particularly sensitive to this and realize that they, I, I would say we should be sensitive to single moms or single dads. And watch this. You can write this in your margin if you want. I think we should be sensitive to spiritually single moms and spiritually single dads because the similarities between the spiritually single parent and the single parent are striking. So we need to be sensitive to people who do this on their own and remember that even when one abdicates, okay, so when one parent has abdicated the marriage or, I mean, or left this life. Perhaps the Lord ended their lives earlier than we would have imagined. Their, their days were numbered shorter than we thought. When somebody is doing this on their own, God gives grace. God gives grace. I, I'm, a, I'm a, 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 a humble, shining example to you of the grace of God at work through the hands and heart and words of a single mom who loved Jesus Christ. God gives grace. Not downplaying moms at all. But the responsibility lies with dads. Um, Ways that we can come alongside single moms or single dads who do them on their own. Praying for them and the children. Maybe mentoring the children. Individual men and women who are connected to each child. This can look different in different ways. But realizing that there's there's something missing. There's something missing there. So hopefully that if if the Lord were to, heaven forbid, if the Lord were were to decide that it was Sarah's time to go... And I all of a sudden became a single parent. Please tell me there's some lady who's going to help me do something really fast. Because our house is going to fall apart real fast before I can get something together. Because my wife runs our home in a really, really awesome way. And I need 
help. So if we could maybe have a sign-up sheet in the back in the event that happens, that would be like a great insurance policy for me and my kids because I need help. The same thing would happen if, if, if there was a single mom in, in a situation. She might be getting along fine, but you have to understand there's certain things that she doesn't have because she doesn't have a godly dad there. And there are appropriate, God-honoring ways for men in the church, men in the small group to come alongside that single mom and help her out. And I've seen it done a number of times. So we need to be sensitive to those situations, praying for them, uh, maybe mentoring them, maybe encouraging them and the kids on a regular basis, which hopefully we're doing just in general, but, but coming alongside them and telling them to keep up the good work and they realize that their job is hard because they're doing double duty. We need to obey God's command of do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this command does not mean a parent is to never oppose their child. We spoke about that before. Um, 1 Kings 1.6 says his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? Do you remember that? So if you look at that, we're going to skip over that for now. But if you look back in that verse, we see the example of a parent who has has decided never to cross their child. And they're not held in a pretty light. 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13, for I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. The parent that lays back, the parent that says I'm not going to cross my child is not the parent that God wants you to be and that God wants our counselees to be. This command does imply a child is not to be brought up to an angry, impulsive lifestyle. I should not model that lifestyle for my children. I shouldn't live my life in such a way that would provoke my children to anger. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. John MacArthur says this. To provoke to anger suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. Get that from his commentary uh, on the book of Ephesians. Now, these are examples of how a child's sinful anger might be expressed. Anger can take the form of open rebellion against any authority, uh, but it doesn't have to be that. It can also take the form of stubbornness or passive resentment or apathy or indifference or half-hearted performance or just in general, the silent treatment. Now, there are several ways a parent can avoid provoking their children to anger, um, One of which is to make sure that there is no tension between the parents to solve problems biblically. Who remembers rule number two from the four rules of communication? One at a time. Keep current. So that's not just, we just got to do this because that's the thing that you do. That affects your family. People have to realize that when there's when there's tent, there's oftentimes when somebody comes to me with a parenting issue, um, the root of that could be found elsewhere in the family or elsewhere in the heart of the parents. It could be, there could be a marriage issue. Or there could be an issue between um, the parent and the Lord. And that's not the Lord, is then, the Lord is then judging you because you have this issue. No, it's not that. God's not meeting out discipline or justice in this way. But it could be that this has a trickle-down effect that affects the kids. It could be that there's a greater issue up here that has to do with the relationship between the parents and the Lord, or between the two parents, and there's a trickle-down effect that's just being less than, less than helpful. When there's tension between parents and the parents are not solving problems biblically, that's very difficult to then raise children and not be provoking them to anger. Uh, control your anger and avoid abusive words and tones and abusive correction. 
Uh, seek to build involvement with and give attention to the child, developing a, a godly relationship. Um, so recently, um, <laughs> if there's a moment where I say recently and I say, do I want to say this? Then I say, yeah, I think I'll say this. So recently, um, one of my kids came to me and just said that they just want to be normal. So, I don't know what that means, but I do know that the Bible has called us not to be normal, and I do know that the Bible has called us to be um, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who, a people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I know that we're supposed to be swimming upstream, and I know that we're supposed to be different from the world in which we live. That's probably not the best response to my child at the time. It's what I want to say. I preach. I want to preach it. I want to make it into a three-point outline and maybe take up an offering at the end. I, I, I'm ready to preach it. But I need to build involvement by saying, help me understand what you mean. I need, to, I need to push all those answers down, all the accurate information down, all the truth down, and say the three words that have helped me the most in counseling, marriage, and parenting. Help me understand. Help me understand. Those three words. Help me understand. What do you mean? I just don't feel normal. Help me understand. What would, what would make you feel normal? What, what, what are you feeling at the time? Who, who do you consider to be normal? Not us. Okay. Who do you consider to be normal? Learning and understanding what's on the child's heart. I want to gain involvement. I don't want to just give answers. You get answers from a book. I'm not a book. I'm a dad. I need to gain involvement. I want to know what's going on in my child's heart. What are you, crazy? Why do you want to be normal? You know what the world says about normal? That's a loaded, I just want to be normal is a loaded statement. Loaded. So pregnant. What is in that statement? What is going on on the inside? So it's an ongoing discussion. But it's hard because I have answers. Lots of them. Got to listen. You will be a great counselor if you listen. You will not be a great counselor if all you do is talk. You will be a great counselor if you listen if you take your time to listen to what the person is saying don't oh this is a parenting issue i've had this parenting issue before in fact i had it in my own life and i had it in another counselor's case so i probably know what we're going to do shut up listen there are no cookie cutter counseling cases there's no cookie cutter children there's no cookie cutter anything in life listen look into the eyes Listen, ask questions that draw out your counselee, your kids. Listen, listen. Ask questions. We need to build involvement with and give attention to our kids. You need to do the same thing with your counselees. We need to build involvement and give attention to them, not just answers. We need to edify, try to build up the child and avoid being overly critical. 
It's just so easy to see what's wrong. It's so easy to see what's wrong. I was working with um, one of my kids on a habit that I was hoping that they would break because I didn't think it was helpful. I didn't think it was normal. No, I didn't think it was helpful. Um, and I was talking to uh, Brian Fannin about it. And you may have seen him a couple. He's the Florence campus pastor if you're not familiar with uh, our staff. He's a great guy. And I was just talking about it and how it was going. It was going pretty crummy. And um, I would point out, I thought it would be helpful. So I teach this, but I do this, right? I thought it would be helpful because obviously he doesn't know when he's doing this. So I wanted to point out when he was doing it. That sounds real fun, right? So he didn't know that he was doing this. So I thought I would point it out and let him know that he was doing it kindly, compassionately, lovingly. You know what Brian said? He said, why don't you point out when he's not doing it? It's like, that makes no sense to me. I'm trying to help him not do something. He said, well, why don't, you, why don't you point out when he's not doing this thing? And he said, hey, buddy, guess what? Even if it's in a funny way, hey, buddy, guess what you're not doing right now? Bad. But it builds him up. As opposed to fault finding. Got it. Did it. That's what I'm talking about. It's that. That. That's it right there. Eh, 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 eh. As opposed to, let's say it's nail biting. Guess what you're not doing right now? Biting my nails, I know. It wasn't nail biting, but let's say it's, although I think they do bite their nails. I should probably do that too. But anyway, it, it wasn't that. But you're biting your nails. Finger out of your mouth. That's it. Come on, buddy. Let's stop that. That's not building up. That's keeping a record of wrongs, which isn't, it's, it might be helpful. First Corinthians 13 says I like shouldn't do that. So, you know, uh, you did it again. It's fourth time. Buddy, come on. Hey, guess what? You're not doing that right now. Oh, you're right, I'm not. And rolls his eyes. Rolls his eyes, but he smiled. Ah, yes. Rolls, he, was, he would do that. He'd go, and he would go, turn away. He has this weird, embarrassed, scrunchy nose face that he still does. Building up, not tearing down, building up. That's what we need to do. We need to do that for our counselors. We need to do that for our children. Be a good listener. Don't answer a matter before you hear it. And communicator. Proverbs 18.13, is that in your outline? Should be. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it is really smart and experienced doesn't say that at all. It says it is his folly and his shame. Yeah, but I know, I know what you're saying. But I know the answer. You don't. You think you know the answer. Even if at the end of hearing that person speak, you were right, you still need to listen. Why? Because the Bible says it's your folly and your shame to answer a matter before you hear it. It doesn't say he who answers a matter incorrectly is obviously fooled. It just says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's his folly and his shame. What if I get it right? And God's like, it doesn't matter if you get it right. It's folly and shame to answer a matter before you hear it. Because you're acting like you know everything. So God's like, you're acting like God. You're acting like me. That's why it's folly and shame. to say, I can add on me to listen. I got this. I got this thing nailed. It's really not a big deal. Understand that not every thought or action is sin or a major issue in life. Not everything is a major issue 
in life. I've learned this over the years. I'm laughing because I haven't learned this from counselees. I've learned this from my own life. That not everything is a major issue in life. Like I said, I'm not super laid back. So I can put all issues that need to be fixed on the same level, which is just ridiculous. Not everything is the same issue in life. My child saying he just wants to be normal and my child leaving the light on, I could make a case why they're both just as important, but they're really not, okay? One is just a light. The other one deals with the heart. And don't go, oh, but there's a heart issue there if he leaves the light on because you've told him not to and that's disobedient. Turn off the light. We'll just turn off, we'll just turn off the light. Well, you're raising a child who's going to leave the lights on all his life. Probably. Moving on. Not everything is a major issue. Not everything is a major issue. But I'm not kidding. All right, I'm, I'll walk through the... I've, I've told my small group this. I'll walk through the house and I'll turn off, I'll turn off lights. It's, it's just it's my thing. It's what I do. It's what I do. I walk through the house and I turn off lights. And sometimes I feel like I'm, like, like I'm such a martyr. <sighs> turn off the light. Got to turn off the light. Do you anybody remember that movie, That Thing You Do? Remember, burn, let it burn all night. Does anybody remember that scene? One of you does. Anyway, it's just like, yeah, sure, just let it burn, just leave it on, it's fine. Just turn it on. I mean, there's fans going. My kids leave their lights on in their room and the light of the closet on. The closet door is closed. What the what, guys? Why is the closet, it's like a closed door. You open the door, turn the light on and closed it. You're killing me, Smalls. Turn off the light. Not every issue is a major issue. But I used to make it a major issue. My younger days, call the kids back in. Call them into the room. Say, what's wrong with this picture? We would talk about what's wrong with this picture. We would talk about what I've told them before. We tell them there's going to be a consequence if they don't do this again. They say, okay, they're living under fear. Like, that's just not, you know what I do now? I flip the switch. You know why? Because someone has to. No, I do that because <laughs> it's still there. It's still, it's still in there. Not everything's a major issue. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. In all things, Christ. Help the child understand the difference between the scripture and house rules. They are different, I've found. We need to help the child understand the difference between the scripture and the house rules. Um, I'm going to move on. Avoid having too many rules and always changing the rules. Okay, new rule, we're going to do this. Okay, new rule, we're going to do that. Avoid having too many rules and always changing the rules. So it shouldn't be just constant, constant, constant rule following because there's a word for that. We're, we're, not, we're under grace. We're not under the what? Right. And I want them to understand what it's like to live under grace. It's not because you'll get grace when you die and go to heaven. No, I want them to understand what grace is now. I want to model grace. So I don't want to have too many rules. I, don't want, to I want to have rules that we need, but not too many of them. Not too many of them. Uh, obey God's command to bring them up in the teaching of the Lord. Um, ultimately, the concern of parents is not simply that their sons or daughters will be obedient to their authority, but that through this godly training and admonition to uh, their children will come to know and obey the Lord himself. So in your outline, you have a picture of this chart. Okay, so here's zero, and I love this chart. Here's zero, and there's 18, where parenting ends. <laughs> That's not the case at all. But we're just saying, 
Here's 0 to 18. It should be, in general, following this pattern, where as my child is super, super young, there's a lot of do and don't. There's a lot of do and don't. A lot of discipline, lots of this is what you do, this is what you don't do. This is what you do, this is what you don't do. But as, they're ab- as they become disciplined and conditioned even and used to, okay, well, this is, this, I, I can't do that, I can do this. Uh, they know the word no. Um, they're able to understand those things. Hopefully, discipline would come down. Instruction would go up. And what I'm starting to see now, by God's grace, um, with my oldest child, who is almost 13, is I'm able to speak with him. It's not all about do or die. It's not all about yes or no. But we're able to talk about the instruction of the Lord because we're kind of right about here. Now, that doesn't mean there's no discipline, nor does it mean back here there's no instruction. But in general, we should be moving in this pattern where discipline would be going down and instruction would be going up. Now, that's a general pattern. Does that make sense? A general pattern. It's not, well, what if, it's, what if you need more discipline when they're 12? Then you, then you give more discipline. But in general, it's not just two straight lines that are parallel. As our children grow, hopefully we would be doing less discipline or parenting less from a disciplinary mentality and more instruction because we're able to reason and talk with them. But particularly if the child knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ, we're able to take him back to Scripture and say, we're on the same team. We're playing the same game. Why are we coming to different conclusions here? Let's talk about it. The three words, what are they? What am I going to tell my child? Say it again. Help me understand. Help me understand what you're thinking. No, help me, help me understand. Parents need to realize if they don't teach their children, then somebody will. So I like to say this. I have four kids And I want first dibs on their worldview. I have four children. I call first dibs on their worldview. Now, what I'm doing is I am defining normal. Okay? I'm defining normal for my kids. So if we were to have a a blank, they're, they're not born in this world as a blank sheet of paper. They're born in this world a sinner. They have a sinful nature. So what I'm trying to do is do my best to combat that sinful nature with the only thing that could actually help them, which is the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm doing is I'm teaching them how to interpret life through a biblical grid, through a biblical worldview. I'm not going to send my child into adulthood saying, make your own choices, just do what you want, you'll have to reason through life. No, what I want to do is make it really odd and awkward for them to steer off the path of righteousness. Does that make sense? I'm defi- what am I defining for them? Normal. I'm defining normal. This is normal. God's word is normative in our lives. Um, the fact that we want to please him is not on, only on special occasions. This is normal. We want, to, we want you to think through things through a biblical grid. Now, what I'm saying is this. If my children grow up and choose to abandon the faith entirely, and I really hope they don't, but if they do that, it's not because they're left with a blank sheet of paper. They're going to have to take an eraser and erase the things that I've worked really hard to lay on their hearts and then add their own stuff. Does that make sense? It's not just going to be, well, I don't know, I just figured this, I just do this because I feel good. I'm doing my best to pour into their minds and into their hearts things that are good and godly and righteous and pleasing to the Lord so that if they abandon that, it's not going to feel normal. It's not just going to be like, I don't know, I mean, there's this and there's that and I just do what I feel. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? 
defining what's normal. So I need to teach my children because somebody else will if I don't. We've never, by God's grace, in 13 years, said we'll tell you when you're older. Because I think when you tell your kids, we'll tell you when you're older, they, they hear, go ask someone else. Because that's what I did. Every time. If, I, if I was ever told that by anybody, I was just like, okay, you're useless. I'm going to go ask you. Okay, what about you? And nowadays, all they have to do is say, okay, Google. So we're not super far away from answers. If I have an opportunity for my child to come to me and say, hey, Dad, what is this? It's like, ah, didn't expect that. Okay, I don't want to say I'll tell you when you're older. I believe the Lord will give you age-appropriate answers to give to your children when they ask you. It's almost like God was sovereign over that moment, like he's in control. As opposed to I will tell you when you're older. I think there's an age-appropriate way. My mom never said I'll tell you when you're older, and I had some doozies of a question. Doozies. Moms, so... Apartment, galley kitchen, like, you know, dishes, uh, sink here, fridge here, real long and thin. I'm sitting in a, at our kitchen table outside in our little dining area, and I had to do current events. Maybe I have to do current events. You've got to bring in an article. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I had to do this. So I'm in third grade. So I'm, I don't know, what am I, nine? Is that third grade? Nine, ten years old? And I'm reading, reading through the newspaper in New York City as a third grader. Got a question. Hey, mom, what's sodomy? I remember mom. Poor mom. She was just, she, I, just, I remember her, she did this. She turned off the water. She dried her hands. She, towel hanging off the fridge. And she went, why do you ask that? <laughs> why do you, hmm, help me understand. She answered me in a way that satisfied my curiosity that I didn't have to go ask somebody else in a schoolyard what is sodomy. I read it in the newspaper. Somebody was guilty of sodomy. There's a biblical answer for that. There's a biblical and an age-appropriate way to answer that, and my curiosity was satisfied. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but my curiosity was satisfied. Why? Because mom took it very seriously that she was her job to teach so we don't say, we'll tell you when you're older. We'll say, okay, I'll tell you now. Because I want first dibs on my kid's worldview. I'm going to skip ahead here. Parents need to provide biblical instruction to their children. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. We want our kids to value truth. First uh, Timothy 2, 4 says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires us to come to the knowledge of truth, and all truth is God's truth. Um, we want them to understand commands. First um, John 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Um, we also want them to cherish wisdom, knowledge applied. We want them to take knowledge of the truth 
and put feet on it. This is how we apply knowledge. It's not just fun facts. We want you to apply this to your everyday life. Um, I'm skipping ahead here. Uh, we want them to understand boundaries. Um, boundaries. Romans 13 and 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Okay, we want them to understand why we have the boundaries that we have and why we think they should set up boundaries in their own life. Okay? We don't want them to give provision for everything that they want. And don't see the word lust and flesh and think that the only thing being spoken out there is sexual. It so is not. Okay? We don't want them to get used to just wanting something, anything, and just making provision for it. Because we know that their flesh has a bend, their flesh, our flesh, has a bend towards evil, towards sin. So we want them to understand that boundaries are not there to be challenged. Boundaries are not there just to frustrate you. They're good, providing that the boundaries are helpful and that we don't put our hope in the fence. We don't put our hope in the fence. Do, do, does that, do you understand what I'm saying? You remember, um, perhaps you remember I told you about my dog Penny from that last session, the session where my iPad went out, which is why I have a paper copy of every lesson that I'm going to be teaching you. Anyway, do you remember that? I'm not bitter, I'm fine. So we're not putting our hope in the fence. We build a fence for a reason because it's really, really helpful. But eventually there should be at some point where we can adjust the fence, lower the fence, take away the fence, put on a little, draw a line instead of a fence so that we can see if knowledge is being applied. And that's something that Sarah and I talk about a lot. Is this an area where we need to build a fence or is this an area where we need to draw a line? So in other words, is crossing into this area, is this going to be detrimental to his soul, to his life? Then we'll want to build a fence. So most of the stuff having to do with internet, we build tons of fences without apology. Much to their chagrin. But that's what we do because I, there's certain, you can't unsee something. Does that make sense? You can regret seeing it, you can't unsee it. And we can't reformat that hard drive. So, so we, build a, we build a fence. But then there's other things where we draw lines. Because my oldest son is old enough that I can trust him and say, okay, I know you're going to go out. I know you're going to be with your friends. You're going to go to one of these places and hang out over here. And this part, that's fine. Okay, we want you to be back by 5.30. And he'll be back by 5.30. So there's a line. It's called 5.30. I didn't force him to come back at 5.30. I didn't go back at 5.25 to see if he needs a ride to get back by 5.30. There's a line. He comes back by 5.30. Does that, does that make sense? Fences, they're both boundaries. One's a fence, one's a line. So we need to, them to understand the importance of boundaries and why God has them and why we have them. Um, the results, okay? This is the results that we're hoping for. Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We want to be like this man. We want to be like Jesus Christ. I smiled when I started reading this because we memorized this. Uh, my boys and I took a guy time trip and we memorized it one time. We were listening to it on the Version app. So I was holding up my phone, super safe, while we're driving on an interstate. We we're listening to the word of God. If we're going to go, what a way to go, right? So... We're listening to uh, Psalm 1, and since it's the first chapter of the book of Psalms, this guy in his heavenly voice says, the Psalms. 
Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. So, to this day, my kids say, the Psalms. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not. It's really funny. It's like, all right, guys, let's do Psalm 1. All right, ready? Everyone? All right, good. The Psalms. Psalm 1. So it's just what I think of every time I see that psalm. No, let's not skip over that. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. I want my kids to be like Jesus Christ. I want my kids to be like this man. In all that he does, he prospers. I want them to see that as a goal, as a goal, to prosper in the ways of the Lord. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Galatians 6, 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will, from the flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will, uh, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Uh, to love the Lord, um, to worship the Lord. We want these to be the results. We want these to be something that the Lord would bring about in our children's lives. We want our counselees to be shooting for the right things. We don't want our counselees to, well, I just want my kids to be really conservative. I just want my kids to be really right-wing. I want my kids to be really this. I want my kids to be really that. You want your kids to love Jesus, pal. You want your kids to love Jesus. And then after that, everything else trickles down. To worship the Lord. To glorify God. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Having our kids realize that whatever you're about to do, do you realize there's a way to glorify God? That's an exciting thing. It's not like whatever you do, you realize you can mess this up or you can make it rock. It's up to you. Don't mess up. I got to run. Let's see what you do. Hey, what you're about to do, you can honor the Lord in what you're about to do. I'm fixing the chain in my bike. You can honor the Lord in what you're about to do. You can realize that the ability to be able to do that, to find a problem and find a solution and to serve your sister in, because the chain fell off her bike that she taught herself to ride, she's insane. This girl, I'm telling you, she's going to take over the world. Anyway, but you can help her do that. That's really cool. This is a God. This is really cool. You honor the Lord in doing this. That's good. You have an opportunity to serve. You can bring glory to God in this. There's no little mundane thing. This is an opportunity to glorify God. You can do that. To accept, appreciate, and proclaim the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. To understand the heart of man. Psalm 139, verse 23, where David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Earlier in that psalm where he goes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand will hold me. The person who loves the Lord says, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go and you won't be there? You're everywhere. The person who doesn't love the Lord looks up to God and goes, you're everywhere. Like, like you're every, that whole omniscience, the fact that he's omnipresent, that he knows everything, that he sees everything, that he's, that he's everywhere, that's really frustrating to somebody who doesn't love the Lord and really awesome to somebody who does. 
It's a great thing to, for our kids to consider. The fact that God is everywhere, does that bring you comfort? He's protecting you. He's watching you. You're never alone. Or are you like, I'm never alone. He's everywhere. Where can I go from the Spirit? Do you read Psalm 139 with clenched teeth? It's a great, it's a great opportunity for us to uh, help our children understand their hearts as they think about How does that verse make you feel? Yes, what does it say? But we're not anti-feeling. How does that verse make you feel? That he's everywhere. Everywhere. Skipping ahead. Parents need to take advantage of the many occasions for teaching a child. Sometimes there's special circumstances and events and times, special opportunities to uh, teach our kids things. Special events that happen, um, special world events that we have the opportunity to talk to them about. We watched uh, a documentary on uh, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. So I'm, an, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a Mets fan. I was, I was, I'll just be nice. I'm a Mets fan. And if you know anything about Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden, they were on the 1986 World Series Mets. And by 1987, they had basically turned their lives upside down because of instant gratification. Drugs, sex, prostitution, gambling. It literally took like a year. And they were on the 30, what's the ESPN thing? 30, 30 for 30, something like that. And they were on there. So I sat down to watch this with Justin my oldest, who's a big baseball fan and a big Mets fan because he's my kid, we will, if there's an idol, we will watch the Mets. And it was a great opportunity to talk about wasted talent, not glorifying God, instant gratification, what, what they squandered, what could have been, how life looks so differently from 1986 to 1987. Now, the good news is one of them seems to be at least walking with the Lord and has a ministry but wow, that's a lot of time that was lost. Taking advantage of an opportunity to teach your kids to root for the men. I mean, to teach your kids to, to understand what wasted talent looks like, what, what instant gratification gets us, that it's not good. Um, I'm going to keep going for the sake of time. Daily life situations. So we don't have a teaching time. We don't have a teaching time. When my child comes to me and says, I just... I, I just want to be normal. I just wish we could be normal. I feel like that's the teaching time. Son, it's 4 o'clock. We don't do this now. That's not how life works. We roll with it as it comes. And if we can't do it now, we make sure to do it later. But we take advantage of daily life situations. Um, their response to authority. Um, being a servant versus being selfish. Handling temptations. Uh, developing uh, a work ethic to avoid being, to avoid being lazy. Um, controlling the tongue. Controlling one's thoughts, okay? Thoughts make us feel a certain way, which make us act a certain way. Thoughts, emotions, actions. I think about this, it makes me feel that way. Because I interpret life this way, I feel this. Because I interpreted the way that he did that or the way she said that to me, I feel this way. And so I responded in that. So because she said that to me, I was upset, which is why I set the doll's hair on fire. Okay, so the doll's hair is on fire, it's hard when that happens. The doll's hair is on fire. That's not the primary problem. The primary problem is something happened over here that you thought justified that. What's the heart of the matter? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? What were you thinking as you burned the child's doll's hair? Learning to love others. 
developing godly relationships, being committed to a local church, uh, having the children understand uh, that what C.H. Spurgeon was, said was correct, as is many things he has said, and that is the local church is the dearest place on earth. Using one's spiritual gifts, living and proclaiming the gospel. Parents need to use a variety of methods in teaching each child. There's no cookie-cutter kids. Um, so there's questions and answers. Help me understand, getting an answer. Um, there is uh, formal teaching during, maybe there's a family time. Um, maybe there's, uh, we happen to homeschool, so there's opportunities like that throughout the day, but there's also a time where we'll be doing family Bible reading, or I'll be doing catechism questions with the kids, or that's formal times of teaching, and everything, every, anytime, something about when dad's teaching, when dad's teaching, all of a sudden it becomes competitive. It's a race. Everything's a race. Even if I didn't make it a race, everything's a race. It's like, okay, guys, here's what I want you to turn to. I want you to turn to uh, Isaiah. <laughs> what did you turn to? Isaiah 40. <laughs> the Bible's it's no fair. He took the Bible. He started. I dropped mine. Started over. Just turn to Isaiah 40. I just want you to turn to Isaiah 40. So I've started. So now, if you can't beat him, join him, right? So I... Always get there first, which I should, what with me being an adult and all. But I'll have my Bible open to Isaiah 40. So then one of them goes, I won! I'll go, like that. Which is super mature, I realize. But it's just like, okay, we got to kill this race. That everything's, everything's competitive. All things are competitive. We close in prayer at dinner, and they talk about who ate what first. First one ate the salad. First one ate the peas. First one ate the spinach. Where did this, we never, I don't know. Any of you have, any of you, can any of you relate to that? Like, you have competitive kids? Are you, some of you are like, heck yeah. It's like, when did this become a race? First one to drink the water, first one to drink, I first did this, I, I first want to cut, first want to cut the meat. Okay. So glad, but it's like, we hold hands. In Jesus' name, amen. First one, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Sometimes that's the formal teaching during family times. We could say, not everything's a race. How do you make your... Anyway, moving on. Informal times. Okay, so looking at our life as a teaching opportunity. Parents need to be an example of Christ to each child. So my life teaches. Write this down. What happens teaches. What happens teaches. I'm never not teaching. There's sometimes I'm intentionally teaching, but I'm always teaching. I'm always setting an example, right, wrong, or indifferent. What happens teaches. Um, we'll take five minutes for some quick Q&A. That'll take us three minutes over. So if it's two minutes early, we'll take five minutes. Covered a lot, ran through a lot of it. I skipped over things that you could read just to make sure that we would get to the end, hopefully fast enough for us to talk about some Q&A. 